Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we explore, we describe, we celebrate the principles and practices, concepts and tools, methods and strategies, people and results of workplace visuality, the technologies of the visual workplace, and how they help us let the workplace speak. Mm -hmm. And the outcome, informational transparency, dramatic improvements in quality, productivity, on-time delivery, and cultural alignment, a robust, a spirited engagement of the workforce on all levels of the enterprise, not just value-add associates, not just supervisors, not just CEOs and plant managers, not just purchasing and accounting, but everyone. You, too. You, too. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. We are going to continue today, continue sharing the contents of my book, on operator-led visuality work that makes sense. And let me just, for any newcomers, mention just a couple of things about us. Please visit us at visualworkplace.com. You'll find there free articles, about 100 of them, 120 of them, and podcasts of the radio show. You'll find my books if you want to get them. You'll find the products and services that we deliver on site as we help companies convert to a workplace that speaks, help them conduct visual conversions. And if you want more information or to arrange for me or one of our affiliates to work with you or come and do a briefing or visual site assessment at your company, just email us. And you can email us from our website or easily from radio at visualworkplace.com. We are happy to help. Radio at visualworkplace.com. Yeah. So having said that, we are going to continue with the contents of my book, Work That Makes Sense by popular demand. (laughs) I'm just very happy to hear from so many of you, really. It is my pleasure sharing this with you. And it's a double-fold pleasure because, first of all, the content is important and practical and relevant and immediate. You can do lots and lots of things with this content right away. So that's the first reason. The second reason that I'm happy to share this is that I will take the opportunity, as it happens, to add commentary, to make, um, to share insights, to share new applications that I've discovered since the book first came out. In 2011, we are putting together a second edition. It should be ready in about three months. We spoke to the printer today. He's ready right now. (laughs) But since 
over the last 10 years, my practice has become even more active than before. And, you know, work that makes sense, operator-led visuality, is almost always the starting point for a visual conversion. In fact, in the last 30-plus years since I've been implementing, there have only been three times when we did not start with what's known as doorway one. That's part of my 10-doorway model, which many of you are well acquainted with. We, It's three times that we didn't start doorway one on the value-add level with work that makes sense. In each of the other three cases, the visual side assessment that we conduct at the outset of every visual conversion guided us to other doorways, specifically supervisors in one case and in two cases, senior management, senior leadership. In those two cases, the senior managers wanted to first get their house in order and to have a line of sight about everything. And so we began there with visual leadership in one case and with visual displays, production control boards in the in the in the other case. Production control boards, this incredibly powerful diagnostic leadership tool for supervisors. Not your cookie cutter um, black words on a white board, but actually an interactive format designed by supervisors in order for them to get at what's eating their lunch. You can look at my previous shows and you'll see two pretty good shows on visual displays. It'll say that right in the title. So let us resume. I want to resume, actually, with the preface to this edition. And, you know, interestingly, (laughs) within one year, We did a second printing of the book. The first release was in May 2010, and we worked strenuously to meet our vision of that. And when we had the volume in hand after we printed it, it's quite expensive to print books. This was not print-on-demand. The pages needed to be uh, satin-finished so that the color didn't seep and... um, had to have certain other characteristics of a good manual. Anyway, it fell short of what we had envisioned and planned for and wanted. For one thing, the nearly 600 photos that was in this first book needed more room to breathe, to be seen, to be understood. And the page-by-page discussion I'm now reading from the preface, and I, I want to really kind of deliver All of it, it's only one page, but it has important points. The page-by-page discussion also needed more detail. And so the combination of the two, more photos spread out, actually not more photos, but the photos formatted differently and the text with more detail, needed a more creative formatting solution. And so a year later, a year, yeah, I'm looking at it now, May, seven, eight, eight months later, we released the new book, the one that's out now. We had uh, many thousands of copies made of that. I was quite uh, pleased it was successful. And it, it, and that's the book that uh, represented my understanding up through um, 2000, early 2011. 
I'm reading again, it bears mention that this book is not a management overview of the logic and application of visual technologies. I have written other books on that important topic with several more to come. This book, Work That Makes Sense 2011, is for operators, for people who work on the line in direct interface with customers or materials or both, what I call the value-add level. I have always wanted to produce a book that spoke to that honored and supported the vision, knowledge, skill, resolve, imagination, and intelligence of the people on the value-add level of the enterprise, whether it be factory, bank, military depot, hospital, office, or open pit mine. I particularly wanted it to be the voice of you and I. You and I. So I could speak directly setting up a dialogue or conversation with value-add associates. Many times during the writing of this book, I felt or and almost heard the exchange. It was a palpable experience. So, a word about the photographs. First, a number of the photographs in this particular book are already a part of my previous books or videos and presentations and online modules. Many of them had been seen before, in some cases repeatedly. I considered replacing them with a fresh set of examples to demonstrate the incredible scope and depth of the field of visuality. In the end, however, a different motivation persuaded me to include the same solutions, or many of them, not all, of course, but a good a good portion. And why? Because they are simply the best. And I want to make this point. This is my commentary mixed with my written word. These are iconic photographs because they illustrate core visual concepts and principles. I call them teaching examples because they hold and reveal visual elements exceptionally well. They teach us. We learn from the photographs. We learn from them not just about the mechanics and technical considerations of visuality, but also about higher-level considerations that the visual workplace is capable of producing. Psychological safety, tolerance, trust, respect for diversity, the corporate intent, alignment, and ultimately, unity. As an aside, I'll say, back then we had over 72,000 primary photographs in our archives, in our database. And some of them were representational, but others of them were this iconic photograph that captured principles of seeing and a certain kind of complex complex functionality that interests the mind and that can be discovered by asking people, tell me what you see. How do you put this together? How does this work? This is an important part of our teaching where we ask whoever is in the group to see and to say, what is it that you see? How do you think it works? Not only is that a discovery process 
for participants, but it is hugely a discovery process for me when I begin to see what I'm teaching through someone else's eyes. And this begins to nourish the whole visual framework of being curious about our world and being curious about how things work. Almost every operator I've ever met is an engineer if the economic social conditions of that person's background had been changed. Operators are brilliant, and I want very much for visuality to be a grooming process for that brilliance. So, going back to the reading now. So, the first thing I wanted to say that about the photographs. The second thing I want to say about the photographs is this. Though the majority of examples come from a manufacturing setting, this is not a book about visual manufacturing. Because visuality is a universal language, its core principles and concepts are universal as well. There is no company or person that visual information sharing cannot help and support. If you work in a non-manufacturing setting, such as I mentioned before, the bank, the hospital, don't let the manufacturing nature of the examples deter your study. Take the opposite approach. Study them in order to uncover their secret mechanics. And then once discovered, apply those to your own workplace, your own work environment. And when you create great teaching examples of your own, send them to me. (laughs) I would love to look at them, and I will certainly consider including them in a next book along with other first-rate solutions that come my way. Let me just revisit this point before I move on about the universality of the language we call visual information sharing. I have been asked more times than I can count as recently as this morning, would you please come and bring visuality into our office? And my answer has stayed the same I thought it would be an answer that would be out of date within a year of the first time I said it, but I've said it a lot in the last 25 years. I would be happy to come and help you with your implementation of what I call the Visual Lean Office under one condition, that it becomes a laboratory of exploration. I need that laboratory in order for me to shift the concepts and methodologies, especially the implementation methodology that I use in manufacturing, to an office setting which has different implementation or deployment parameters. Much is the same, but there is an important difference in offices which one day, soon, eventually, I'll talk about in some detail. So that's the deal, and I say that to all of you. You want me to work in your office and bring a high level, a highly effective level of visuality into your office environment, then it has to be a laboratory where we will explore how the principles work. Without that living laboratory, I can't say yes. I can't say yes because the materials are not yet developed. It only lacks an opportunity. Maybe it'll come in Poland. Somebody will raise their hand in Poland. Maybe it'll become come in Canada or come in uh, New York State or Chicago. But I need that because other than otherwise, 
there's no there are no teaching examples. We can derive the mechanics from manufacturing, and eventually that should spawn or trigger marvelous office applications. But until it happens with my very own eyes, I have not seen this anywhere. I have seen people try to do a good job in offices, and I can name the people. God bless them. But the results have to be of equal robustness as in manufacturing because visuality is a universal language. And it is a way of embedding behaviors into the living landscape of work, whether it's an office, a bank, or a hospital. So I just mentioned that, I hope, is an interesting aside. So at the end of this preface, which is one page long, I've elaborated a bit. I hope uh, it's been useful. I say at the start, at the end, and at all points along the way, I hope you find this book useful to your purposes and inspiring to your heart and to your mind. So now we move to the contents of the book. And the contents fall into five sections. Visual basics, which includes an introduction to the visual workplace, the building blocks of visuality, and also the basic toolkit that you would need in order to implement. And section two is smart placement, the logic and meaning of smart placement and how to map, how to do these two powerful maps, the what is and the could be map. So important for gaining insight into motion. We'll, of course, cover that in detail. Section two also covers the 14 smart placement principles. Fantastic. I love those principles with lots of examples. And then we move to section three, which is the visual wear. The visual wear, which begins with borders and then moves to addresses and ID labels. And then we talk about the fourth section, which is driving visuality deeper. And we talk about the configuration of mini systems and customer-driven visuality and the four power levels. Mm-hmm. There's also scattered throughout the book more than a dozen leadership tasks, tasks, processes, tools that leaders can use to support the implementation on the operator level. And then there's also a great appendix. I like the appendix. So let's move to section one, which is visual workplace basics. Many people believe they know what a visual workplace is, but it is so much more than is commonly understood. In a thriving visual workplace, one of the greatest benefits is work that makes sense. In this first section of the book, we enlist the support of company management and recognize the expertise you Whenever I say you, it's always the operator. You already bring to your work. Then you get an overview of visuality, including basic definitions and principles and the 10 doorways model. We show you how visual devices translate vital information into exact behavior, your own behavior and the behavior of others. And then you learn about the eight elements or building blocks on which a visual workplace is built. The first is eye-driven, an approach emphasized throughout this book that affirms that what you do, think, say, feel, and create matters 
a lot. We return again and again to these eight elements, which will be named shortly, as the visual learning and visual application continue. Next, in this section, you learn the basics of getting ready to launch a visual conversion. And your supervisors and managers start to learn about leadership tasks that they undertake to ensure your efforts are well supported as you create dazzling visual inventions in your area. As part of this, you and they learn about five hands-on tools for achieving the first set of visual goals. And they are, there are three of them, achieve a visual showcase, achieve measurable bottom line results, and adopt an attitude of learning. So that's the introduction to chapter one. And now we begin chapter one. And it begins with a word at the start to managers. This book is for operators, those employees responsible for converting material into shipped products or transforming protocols into delivered services. That is their job. How many times in the last decade have you heard company executives, even yourself, proclaim that people are your organization's most valuable resource? That employees on the value-add level are experts of their work and that they must be allowed and empowered to organize their own work and work area to better suit their needs and the needs of high performance. How many times? This, you were told, is the doorway to a spirited, engaged, and aligned workforce and to the empowerment indispensable to enterprise excellence. But what does this really mean? How does a company create an empowered workforce while strengthening the bottom line? This book addresses that, telling you both the what and the how, what true empowerment is and how the organization achieves it. But we discuss these overarching concepts with two important differences. We discuss them as part of a visual workplace and directly with your value-add workforce, the people you say you want to empower or empower more. Whether you refer to these hard-working, inventive individuals as associates, technicians, operators, hands-on employees, touch labor, or workers, they are, as Rolls-Royce puts it, the experts. Every change requires three things. Inspiration, a vision of the horizon, a vehicle, the means for getting there, and a pathway, the road the map to the destination. These three elements are described in this book in the context of workplace visuality. In 25 years of research and implementations, I have never discovered a more dynamic, creative, and complete approach for operator-led visual conversions than the work that makes sense methodology. And what does that conversion look like? Managers, Work areas that are aglow with tangible intelligence and coherency, speaking through visuality with precision, relevance, and completeness, thanks to the visual language value-add associates have learned to diligently and inventively embed there. That is the subject of this book. 
and it is addressed to your value-add employees. These excellent contributors will find an ample fund of visual workplace concepts, principles, tools, methods, encouragement, teaching, and examples in these pages. And they will be successful only if. Managers, executives, and supervisors, this only if is yours. They will be successful only if you become an active part of that transformation. Only if you demonstrate your commitment by actively supporting and encouraging people in these tasks. Only if you provide value-add employees with the visual workplace training and supplies they need, along with a quiet place where they can think and experiment. Only if you do that will these same associates decide to convert their areas to the high level of operational functionality the visual approach is designed to achieve. And only if you designate a separate time for visual improvement can it realistically happen in the face of pressing production demands on time. Only then can you look forward to a workplace that speaks with precision relevance, timeliness, and tangible completeness that the language of visuality provides. These only ifs are the reason you are the first person I address as this book begins. You are essential to the return on the investment you made when you purchased this book. That investment is one of both money and hope. Throughout this book, you will find notes to guide your thinking and actions in support of those outcomes, principles and practices of leadership, commitment, and engagement. You are encouraged to read, practice, and apply them. Which brings me to the final only if. (laughs) Only if you read this book cover to cover, not just scan it. And only if you deeply absorb it will you learn to become the ally of the change you say you want. Whether you are an executive, supervisor, manager, or CEO, your involvement is indispensable to the success of this transformation. And there will be no success for you to support without the release and empowerment of the human will that is resident in the people who work closest to where value gets added in your enterprise. They are the power in empowerment. Only with the transformation of their role from doers to thinkers to implementers will you gain the prosperity, stability, and market scope you long for and expect. And that can only happen with your active and knowing participation. So that's my word to managers. And now I'm on page five, begins a word at the start to value add associates. Now I'm going to talk to you. The work that makes sense process described in this book is specifically designed to help you gain control over your work and the outcomes that work is meant to produce. As I like to say it, control over your corner of the world. Since your managers and supervisors need to be partners in this process, there are notes to them throughout the book. But you are the reason this book was written. You are the hero of its pages. 
In these pages, you are invited to consider a new way of seeing and a new way of solving. I call that new way visual thinking. The destination is called a visual workplace, a workplace that speaks. In a visual work environment, you and your colleagues will find that what you need, I beg your pardon, will find what you need when you need it. You will know correct quantities and mixes at a glance. You will meet every deadline on time and perform complex tasks with precision and confidence. Why? Because you have designed it that way. At its core, workplace visuality is a language, the language of excellence embedded into the physical landscape of work. As a language, it will gain popularity, common usage, and power as more and more people in your company begin to speak it. I hope it will become your language as well. Fellow traveler, on this wondrous journey, let's get started. You are the expert. This is the next section. You are an expert at what you do. You know your job, whether that job is in a bank, a lumber mill, medical facility, military depot, food, chemical, or pharmaceutical processing plant, restaurant, oil field, engineering, or marketing office, retail outlet, or automobile factory. You are good at what you do, whatever you do, and wherever you do it. Yet that doesn't mean that everything at your work always happens as expected or according to plan. Not everything is always perfect, not in your company, or for that matter, any company. Not in your work area, or for that matter, any work area. On most days, though, knowing your job means that you know what is supposed to happen. And it does. But there are other days when it doesn't. It just doesn't. In fact, sometimes what is not supposed to happen happens. For so many days in a row, that work seems more like drudgery than a job you know well, a struggle instead of a flow. On days like that, work can begin to seem like some kind of, well, insanity. It just doesn't make sense. Oh, sure, there are reasons for that, and you know them. If someone were to ask you, you could list plenty of them. In fact, on some level, all the reasons that things go wrong are right. (laughs) That's not gibberish. It's just a way of saying you are right about knowing what causes most problems in your area, to which you may say half-jokingly, at least I'm right about something. The fact is, you are not only an expert at the work you were hired to do, you are also, you have become an expert at spotting the problems that keep you from that work. The real question is, what do you do about those problems? Will you become skilled as well at solving those problems, an expert at eliminating them, not just during your shift, but permanently? This is the invitation of this book. This book is about finding those answers and building them into the very process of your work. Hmm? That way, the work itself tells you when you are right, when you are wrong, and if you're on your way in or out of either one of those. The workplace learns to speak. You turn it into a visual workplace. 
And as you are about to learn, you learn how. How to transform an information-starved work area step-by-step into one that is information-rich. How to take the struggle out of your workday and put the sense back in through visual information sharing. How a robust set of principles, concepts, terms, and methods can help you identify problems at your work that are caused by missing information and then how to minimize or eliminate problems completely through solutions that are visual. How to use a set of hands-on implementation tools so you and others can carry through on your ideas and inventions and actually put them into place in your work area. How to use the power of the mind, our natural inner strength, to help identify the need for visuality and fulfill it. How to create work that makes sense by designing a workplace that talks to you in a precise, accurate, complete, and practical language, a language you understand because it is your own, your own visual language, and that language makes sense. In short, you become a visual thinker. What is a visual workplace? the next section. What is a visual workplace? We'll start by defining a visual workplace. A visual workplace is self-ordering, self-explaining, self-regulating, and self-improving, where what is supposed to happen does happen on time, every time, day or night, because of visual devices. If you remove the last four words because of visual devices, you remove the engine that drives that definition and its outcome as well. Without visual devices, the outcome of on time, every time, day or night becomes impossible. Why? Because it is visual devices in the workplace that ensure that what is to happen, what is supposed to happen does happen. That is its primary purpose. The visual workplace is a gigantic adherence mechanism. Here's the definition of a visual workplace. I beg your pardon. Here's the definition of a visual device. A visual device is a mechanism or thing intentionally designed to influence, guide, direct, limit, or even guarantee our behavior. How? By making vital information available as close to the point of use as possible to everyone and anyone who needs it without speaking a word. And there's a fine example here of showing you two sets of visual devices. One of them is an early gas pump. It's an early gas pump that is simply a cylinder, I should say a pole with a clear glass cylinder on top that you fill with gas way back when, this is the 1900s, and the uh, glass it has calibration on it, etching in it, so you know how much you're putting into your car or if someone is helping you, how much they are putting in and they're going to charge you for it. It's glass also, so you can see if the gas is dirty, which was a big problem at the time, and the dirt would clog the gas lines, and your car would come to a grinding halt. 
so it had double purpose. Sitting on top like a bucket on a pole, the gravity would cause the flow down through the hose and into the car. And the calibration marks on the cylinder, as I mentioned, expressed true visual information sharing, the only part of it that was visual, for viewing and measuring the gas as it flowed out, as contrasted to a modern gas pump, which is highly visual. With a little help from you, it easily substitutes for the gas attendant and the cashier. All the information is embedded in that kiosk. It is completely self-contained and self-sufficient, and you can work it without supervision, or at least two, in two states in our fine, fine and fair nation, all except New Jersey and Oregon, two places that I lived. I was brought up in New Jersey, and I spent 20 years in Oregon, and you don't pump your gas there. It's against the law to pump your gas. Must be something to do with employment figures. I've never been able to figure it out. But when it's raining or when it's super duper hot and I'm sitting in New Jersey raining in Oregon and in the heat in New Jersey, I'm happy for that. I don't make any complaints whatsoever. So you can look at the workplace known, I'm reading again, look at the workplace known as your local gas station and look at the evolution of the gas pump And you will see that early on, visual information sharing was almost absent. Then as the technology became more complex and the number of people needing gas rose as well, the need for visuality increased. The modern day gas station is flooded with visual devices that make it possible for even the most untrained driver, my mother, to complete the transaction of gas for money safely and precisely with no supervision. Just try to get the kind of gas you need in the right quantity without the help of those visual devices. It's impossible. And that will show you how far we have come in visual information sharing. Consider the car itself. Examine the car, your car, closely. Inside the cab where the driver sits, under the hood, under the chassis, in the trunk, and you will find no less than the 144 visual devices that we discovered about 10 years before this book was written that that helps us drive the car, maintain it, and when it breaks down, the repair guy to fix it. Hmm? Over 110 million cars and trucks use U.S. highways and roads every day, and all of them are visual machines. So visuality is very, very much a part of our daily life. Visual devices make our roads and highways safe and highly functional for us, our family and friends. For bus, taxi, ambulance, and truck drivers everywhere, these devices on the roadways and the highways form a vital part of their workday. Visuality on our roads and highways serve as what I said before, a gigantic adherence mechanism, providing a common language, at-a-glance rules that make our economy possible and the prosperity that follows. Some common devices, and I'm summarizing now, that bring sanity and safety to our everyday life are the railroad crossing sign, the stoplight, the map itself, 
the long, unending borders, or you might call them lines, running down the center of the road. And when they're white, you know that this is a single-lane highway. This is in the United States, not everywhere. And if it's yellow, you know that the opposite lane contains oncoming traffic. The yellow tells us that. That's the language of the roadways. It's fantastic. And inside the cab, inside the car, we have the speedometers, we have the oil gauge, the heat gauge, the RPMs. All of this information is there by design. These devices did not fall out of the sky. I'm reading now. They didn't happen by accident. They happened by design intentionally. As a visual thinker in the making Do the following as you consider these devices. Remove them in your mind's eye from the vehicles and the roadways. Imagine the impact of that on our world. Imagine the problems and delays and accidents and insurance claims, the headaches and expense in our everyday life that would happen without these visual devices that we find on our roads and highways. It would be mayhem. In the language of visuality, there is a single word for these headaches, and that word is motion, motion moving without working, motion. You may be familiar with the term waste. Well, motion is like that, only much more specific, as you will soon discover for yourself. Next section is called The Translation of Information into Behavior. The world of work shares a single basic transaction used millions upon millions of of times every day. And that transaction is this, the translation of vital information into behavior, human behavior and machine behavior. So imagine a slate, and on the left side is vital information, and then just imagine an orange arrow pointing to the right side of the slate and the words exact behavior. That's a way of talking about the translation of vital information into exact behavior. That's what your company is about. Whatever you do, that's what my company is about. That is what All work is about the translation of vital information into exact behavior, human behavior or machine behavior. But operationalizing that formula is not that simple. Workplace information changes quickly and often. Schedules, customer requirements, engineering specs, operational methods, tooling, and fixture needs, material location, and the thousands of other details on which daily life in the enterprise depends. To share that information, to share that vital information, most companies depend on classroom training and discussion and OJT on-the-job training. They also depend on binders of SOP, SOPs, reference manuals, online instruction, blueprints to share that information, supported by lots of supervisors and managers who answer our many questions. These are all indirect methods, and they have varying 
levels of effectiveness. The belief is that once we get the right information, we will do the right thing the right way on time and safely. We will behave as it were in keeping with that information and good things will result, namely well-made products delivered on time and or well-provided services presented with a smile. Those same companies, perhaps yours, assume incorrectly that these indirect methods are capable of translating vital information into exact behavior. The truth is more like this. You begin your day determined to produce outstanding results. Then the unexpected happens. You grab the wrong material or the wrong material is delivered and you didn't notice it. You make the wrong model because you couldn't quite decipher the work order, you use the wrong tool because the right one could not be found, you overheat the part because the gauge on the oven had slipped, and so on and so forth. You intended to do the right thing, but the wrong thing happened. What would it be like if the physical workplace itself could make that translation instead of books, manuals, computers, training hours, coaching, and on and on. What would it be like, what would your workday be like if the floors, instead of just holding you up, I'm going to say this again because it's really important, what would it be like if the floors, instead of just holding you up, actually helped you do your work? actively and precisely? What would it be like if the walls assisted you too? And the tools and the tables and shelves and carts and materials and machines and the other things in your work area? What if they too became active partners in helping you reach your daily work outcomes, safety, quality, cost, delivery? day after day, week after week, year after year. What would it be like? It would be like a visual workplace because that is exactly what happens when we create a workplace that speaks. We populate the physical work environment with visual devices and we make an active partner out of that environment, that physical environment. When we do, we ensure that the complete, accurate, and precise information we need is available when and as we need it, as close to the point of use as possible. Hmm? Visual devices become the translation point between vital information, you could call that your standards, and the exact behavior or outcome that that information is supposed to produce. Instead of the indirect methods I had described above before, the physical workplace itself, populated with these devices, are what influences us, guides us, directs us, limits us, prevents us, or on the positive side, guarantees that we do the right thing safely, precisely, completely, and reliably. These devices transform your physical work area into, what I said before, a gigantic adherence mechanism with an impact that is equally gigantic 
and it is also simple. You are free to do your work excellently well. That is precisely why you came to work in the first place. You came to be a hero. You came to command and execute excellence, to do ordinary things extraordinarily well. Visual devices are the translation point between vital information and the exact behavior that information is supposed to trigger. Your journey to a visual workplace begins and ends with them. And I want to make a comment on that. It is the purpose of the visual workplace is to take that information that is in your binders, that you talk about in your training room, that you coach an OJT, and to embed it into the living landscape of work. That is the purpose of the visual workplace. This is why we say the workplace speaks, because it has the answers to the questions that we have to do our work. And without those embedded answers, we have to rely on tribal behaviors, tribal knowledge, Q&A, constantly chasing down someone to get an answer for something else where the answer is either invisible or not available or not close enough or simply wrong, not there or wrong or incomplete. And I want operators to know at the beginning that the visual devices that they are going to be inventing are limitless and are there to serve their needs. One of the unspoken parts of this introduction, which is not surfaced so that we don't move into a negative frame, is to say, and it will be said very, very clearly soon, that you get to design your own work area to support your work. Work that makes sense is about teaching those methodologies so that operators can become engineers of their own workplace. And they can skip all of that training and all of those questions and all of that hesitation, am I doing it the right way? Because they make their own workplace a supervisor. They put a language in place that they understand because that language is their own. Okay? So, this next section, which I think we will have time for, but maybe not, is about visual devices and the fact that they're everywhere. Let me get started on it. It's an interesting section with some wonderful pictures. Aha! (laughs) Trust me on that. (laughs) And this section is called Visual Devices Are Everywhere. Visual devices are everywhere in the community, helping us do the right thing on time and safely without speaking a word. They guide, direct, and protect us so seamlessly that we barely even notice them, and yet they are powerfully a a part of our daily life. Look at a terminal gate at any metropolitan airport. If you have a regional airport near you, you might not see what I'm about to describe, but if it is a medium-large metropolitan airport, you will notice that there are markings at the gate where the plane comes in. 
they're yellow markings. There's usually a line, which we call a flow line or the critical path, going into the gate from the main runway. And you will also see very, very frequently now that there's a tree or some crossbars at the end of that flow line with black letters on a bright yellow background. We call them addresses. That contain numbers. And the numbers are like 727, DC 10, 757, 747, etc. The white markings, the yellow flow lines. There'll also usually be some red hatched areas if there's if it's a jet plane gate in order to warn us that there may be some whirling turbines. These are all visual devices, flow lines, borders, addresses, and together they make up a mini system, a system of visual devices, all aimed, all aimed at a specific outcome. And I think we'll pick this up the next time I wanted to make some other points. I wanted to just talk about brain function for a moment. In this particular book, it will be in the next edition, I do not talk about the power of the brain and how our brain functions to help us see and help us understand our world. But for example, on the point of yellow, yellow was well-researched in the 1920s and 30s to find, and we discovered in the research, which is called brain research, that the human eye, in a field of color, the human eye will notice yellow first. Yellow is a dominant color. This is kind of like finding Harpo. Harpo, I think his name was. The eye will spot the yellow first. It's why our school buses are yellow. By an act of Congress in 1939, our school buses all became yellow. Why? Because motion preceded that. And the motion was that our kids got hurt. Our kids got hurt and the parents rose up and said, you're not going to take my kid to school and not bring him back in at least as good a shape as I gave him to you in the morning. You can't hurt my kid. So this whole notion of brain function is very important for your operators to understand, not just because it's true, but because it opens the world of discovery to them. This becomes interesting. The curiosity is, how does my brain work? Let me watch it. And people then can self-learn. These are very important components of liberating your operators so that they really can contribute meaningfully. I want to thank you very much for listening today. I know you have a busy day, and I hope that you have found our discussion my sharing useful to you. I really am enjoying sharing this book with you because it is rich and because I can now attend to talking to you as compared to knowing that I have to spend hours and hours to prepare. So thank you very much for indulging indulging me in this. This is helping me a lot. It's really relieving a lot of my anxiety about doing a good show for you. I wish you a splendid journey to where 
whatever your destination is, and I hope that workplace visuality is a part of that. Until the next time, this is Gwendolyn Galsworth signing off. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak. We'll be right back.